Let us pray. Lord, we could not understand the words that we're about to read were it not for your Holy Spirit illuminating the text for us. And so, Holy Spirit, teach us, comfort us, convict us, encourage us, empower us to live for you. Lord, we are your students. Speak afresh to us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Reading from the book of Psalms, from the 95th uh, Psalm. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then these words from the Gospel of Mark, this occurs after Jesus feeds the 4,000. We read, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test Him, they asked Him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Amen. The great philosopher and theologian Woody Allen uh, laments, If God would only speak to me just once, if only He would just cough, if I could just see a miracle, if I could see a burning bush or the seas parted, or my Uncle Sasha pick up the check, I am plagued by doubts. What if everything is an illusion and nothing exists? then I've definitely overpaid for my carpet. If only God would give me some clear sign. How many of us have wished for the same, that God would give us a clear sign so that His existence and His presence would be absolutely unmistakable? If only God would do something really spectacular dispelling all of our doubts once and for all. We want a God without ambiguity, a God who will offer convincing final proofs, a God to whom we can point to for the sake of our unbelieving friends and say, well, look at that. Isn't it obvious? 
It's a very human wish. Come on, God. Show yourself to us. Clearly, please. The people of Israel were, uh, you know, they were uh, led through the Red Sea by God Himself, taken out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, they were wandering in the wilderness, and uh, the people of Israel at that point were the first uh, people to ask for a sign from God. They were camped at a place called Meribah, expecting to find water, but expecting to, but finding none. Actually, they began to complain, grumble. They began to quarrel with each other, and they began to blame God. They wanted proof of His loving concern. Of course, God had shown, had shown um, proofs time and time again to the, the people of Israel, right? Uh, sending manna from heaven and, and uh, leading them to places where they could find water. But no, there didn't seem to be any water around, and uh, they figured that they were going to die from thirst, and so they panicked, and they demanded that God show Himself and fix it. And then the Lord complained. You know, the Lord complains. The Lord gets frustrated at times. God says, they put me to the test. They asked me for proof. Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. And then in the days of the New Testament, the Pharisees came along demanding a sign from Jesus. Guardians of the Jewish tradition, they wanted proof of His Messiahship. They wanted some tangible verification to convince them beyond any shout, shadow of a doubt that this Jesus was indeed the anointed one of God. And the problem was that, uh, that Jesus was not fitting their expectation of what a Messiah should be, right? I mean, he was, Jesus was far too peaceful and humble and ordinary, and they were expecting the Messiah to be a, a warrior king who would lead the people to, to victory over their enemies, who would restore the throne to uh, David. And one of the rabbinic commentaries taught that when the Messiah came, He would stand on the roof of the temple, and those who doubted would see light streaming over Him, and there would be no doubt that He was sent from God. It would be obvious that He was indeed the Messiah. So, where was the proof? Was Jesus Messiah or not? And apparently, these Pharisees, uh, for these Pharisees, uh, the miracles that Jesus had performed to this point were not enough. They demanded a sign from heaven. They wanted a sign from God Himself. Eugene Peterson's contemporary version of the New Testament reads this particular passage we read from Mark. They badgered Jesus to prove Himself, pushing Him up against the wall, provoked, He said, why does this generation clamor for miraculous guarantees? If I have anything to say about it, you'll not get so much as a hint of a guarantee. And then the, uh, the NRSV that we read earlier reads, Truly I tell you, no sign will be given this generation. The original Aramaic is emphatic. Jesus swears that there will be no sign, there will be no sign for this generation. 
And the use of the phrase, this generation, is a corporate term for the unbelieving, those who have hardened their hearts, recalling the unbelief of the Israelites in days of old. The Lord refuses to jump at human request. No spectacular sign will be given to prove Himself. Why? Because God doesn't work that way. You know, God could show off if He wanted. You know, God could uh, you know, throw out some uh, well-timed thunderbolts. Um, God could, could indeed supply final proofs uh, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Uh, Jesus, being God Himself in the flesh, could have thrown Himself off the pinnacle of the temple, and He could have been caught by angels and wowed the crowd. But God does not work that way. God doesn't want people to come to Him on that basis. The Lord refuses to bowl us over with spectacular signs, for He respects our human freedom too much. He wants us to to freely choose Him, to choose Him in love. He doesn't try to compel our faith through miraculous feats of display. As Philip Yancey puts in his excellent book, uh, The Jesus I Never Knew, he says, what's amazing is God's refusal to perform and to overwhelm. God's terrible insistence on human freedom is so absolute that He granted us the power to live as though He did not exist, to spit in His face, to crucify Him. I believe God honors freedom and restrains Himself because He knows that power cannot force love. Only love, not force, can summon a response of love. So, rather than blowing everybody away, you know, uh, you know, blowing away all doubt by sending unmistakable signs, in, in essence, compelling belief, God takes the way of humility into this world, gently, quietly inviting us into a relationship of growing faith with Him, beckoning us to follow. It, his way is so much more, more quiet, more gentle. It's the way of the still, small voice, not the earthquake and the fire, it's the way of love. God just doesn't work that way. He's not going to jump through our hoops. Man. He never tried to win people over through spectacular ways, forcing belief. No claps of thunder, no bolts of lightning, no fire from heaven. And yes, He stilled the storm, but that was for the disciples' benefit to grow their faith. Jesus' miracles were always in response to human need, and He still performs them in quiet, unassuming ways, and the signs of His healing love are everywhere. And that brings me to the second reason why Jesus refuses to grant the request for a sign. The signs of God's presence and love are all around us. Why demand a miracle from God when there are miracles to be seen 
everywhere around us, everywhere we look. I, uh, I have come to appreciate the poet Walt Whitman, the great American poet of the 19th century, wrote during the time of the Civil War. Actually, last Christmas I shared with you one of his poems uh, called Christmas Bells, which I thought was amazing. But he has written uh, a, a, another poem, a small, short poem, entitled simply, Miracles. And I want to share an adaptation of that poem with you via this video. Who says there are no miracles? I mean, really? <laughs> One only has to look around with the eyes of faith to see evidence of God. The words of another poet, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. Those who see through the eyes of faith see God everywhere. They see God in the beauty of nature. They see God in the faces of the poor and the needy. They see God in deeds of love and mercy. They see God in elements of communion of bread and wine. And above all, they see God in changed lives. Who needs any more proof than that? It's all in the seeing. John the Baptist, uh, early on, uh, uh, wasn't seeing much at one point. He was in a dungeon. Things were not going well for John. Languishing there in that dark cell, feeling rather disillusioned, he sent messengers to Jesus asking him whether he was the Messiah or should he be looking for somebody else. And remember what Jesus said? He said, go back to John and report what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, open your eyes, John. The signs are everywhere. What proof do you need? Signs are everywhere. Miracles are there at sea. All you have to do is look into the eyes of a baby. There will always be those, however, whose hearts are hardened and who want God to jump through their hoops and prove Himself. And they are precisely the ones who will not see anything. Nothing would convince them anyway, even if there was some spectacular sign in the skies or, or someone should come back from the dead. They would explain it away. Oh, certainly there is some rational explanation. We just don't know it yet. It's all coincidence. It's all in the seeing or in the inability. So we can understand Jesus' frustration with the Pharisees, God's frustration with the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness, 
Why do you ask for a sign? Is your heart that hard? Are you that blind? Look around you. The proof is there. If you are sensitive to it, if you're attentive, Jesus refused uh, to give the Pharisees a guarantee because He doesn't work that way, and there are miracles enough all around them. But in the end, Jesus refused to perform a sign, for He Himself is the sign. Jesus Christ is God's great and final sign of love, and it's His life and death and resurrection that is our most convincing proof of God. The most amazing evidence of God's loving concern is Jesus, God in the flesh. And the amazing thing is that those who discover Jesus Christ and know Him to be the great sign of God's love will themselves become living signs in their generations. They will point others to God by the quality of their transformed lives. Indeed, there's no more convincing sign of God than a human life fully committed to Jesus Christ and living that out. The world will know He is alive when they see in us what a difference He makes, what a positive difference He makes. Woody Allen was wishing for a clear sign from heaven, and he gives voice to our own yearnings for certainty and proof. If only God would speak to me just once, if only I could see a miracle. Well, Holy Scripture tells us that God has spoken to us once and for all in His Son, Jesus Christ. And God has performed His greatest miracle for us by becoming one of us, walking this earth full of grace and truth. He Himself is the sign. To see Him is to see God. To know Him is to know God. And we meet Him in the pages of the Bible and in our own experience. Come to Jesus Christ, open your eyes, and open your hearts, and let Him in. And there's a sense in which we need to do that over and over and over again. In fact, that could be our prayer. Lord, help me to see as You see. I want to know You. I want to hear You. Speak afresh to me. And God will give you and me that abundant life that is promised to us. So, give yourself anew to Christ and prove it for yourself that He is indeed an incredible God of love. So, may it be. Amen.